Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Last week, Tim touched on rejoice always, and this week I'm going to look at those next two words, pray continually. Now, I don't know if you guys are anything like me, but at first hearing those words, pray continually, maybe you have a few questions regarding that statement, pray continually. Because I'm like, Lord, how how am I supposed to work? Uh, How am I supposed to have conversations with my wife while I'm praying continually? How am I supposed to uh, go to the grocery store? How am I supposed to do the busy things of life if all I'm doing is praying continually? And Jesus, I can't do anything continually because I really feel like I have a small case of ADD. And so I can literally hold on to a thought for about two minutes and then it exits. Anybody else in here like that? Come on. I knew there were some other people in the house. So pray continually. How do we live this out? Is it even realistic? And yet Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. So with anything in life, particularly things that are outside the scope of the basic human experience, sometimes it helps to look to someone who's gone before us, walked this path. This allows us to see it with our eyes, hear it with our ears, so we're not journeying into the unknown. We want to know practically, as it comes to being a follower of Jesus, as it comes to this relationship thing that we have with him, does prayer Is it going to be beneficial? Is praying continually going to have the impact on my life and on our state of rest? So this morning, I want to take you guys on a quick journey. And we're going to look at the life of David. He's the one that God announces, if you remember in the Bible, it says that God was a man after his own heart, after God's heart. And over the past couple weeks as I've been preparing for this, I've actually just been praying some Psalms. And whether it was the Holy Spirit, I don't know what it was, but as I'm literally praying these Psalms, this idea of every one of these Psalms that we read is connected, of David, is connected to something that's happening in his life. In his story, in 1 Samuel and in 2 Samuel, there's a connection in the timeline, a connection in the story. And so I thought, well, gosh, if if David's been saying all these prayers or these songs, these psalms, isn't he praying continually kind of throughout his life? And this is something I want to go through with you guys this morning. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at three different psalms connected to three different moments in David's life, okay? Now, if you haven't grown up in church, maybe this is your first time stepping through the doors of a church, welcome, so glad you're here. Uh, But you're looking and you're going at me and you're thinking, "Uh, Scott, I have no idea who David is. 
Okay, well, let me give you just a little bit of background before we get into these three big moments. Okay, so David, first of all, he grew up a shepherd boy. He is one of eight brothers in the house of Jesse, his father. And maybe because he was the youngest, he was given the menial task of taking care of the family sheep. He spent a lot of time in the fields with the sheep. A lot of theologians believe that it was actually the act of being a shepherd that actually helped him cultivate this incredible relationship that he had with the father. Why? Because he had nobody else to talk to. He literally would just talk to God all the time. Now, of course, there was the sheep, and I'm sure there was a fair amount of talking to the sheep as well. But this was a great opportunity for David to get to know the father, to see the blessings of the father, to actually see that this relationship with the father was critical for him to be successful at what he was doing in life at this moment. So to kind of, I got to sidestep for just a second. Okay. There's a guy named Samuel in first Samuel that is a prophet. Okay. And the Lord tells Samuel that they need to find a king. And the reason why is there's a king in place at the moment. His name is Saul, King Saul, but Saul's not doing so great. And matter of fact, he's let the Lord down quite a few times. David actually, or God actually says to Samuel, this guy's really honestly just not going to work out. So we need to be looking for a new king. So he tells Samuel to go to the house of Jesse. And there he will find who is going to be the next king. So Samuel the prophet heads off to the house of Jesse. He goes through each one of the seven brothers one at a time. Nope, that's not him. Nope, that's not him. Until finally he gets to the seventh one and he asks Jesse, are, are there any more? And Jesse says, there's one more. And it's the youngest, but he's out in the fields taking care of the sheep. And Samuel says, well, bring him forward. I am not going to sit down until he is in my presence. And the Bible says that when David walks into the room, the Holy Spirit comes upon Samuel and he knows that this is the one who is going to be king. And he anoints him, this young shepherd boy. You can imagine what kind of pressure that probably put onto David. You can also imagine how his brothers probably treated him just like a king every day after that. <laughs> so we are at the beginning of the three moments. So David just goes back to being a shepherd boy, okay? And his brothers go off to war because the Israelites are fighting the Philistines, if you'll remember. And if you've grown up in church, you've heard the story of David and Goliath a thousand times. But here's how it goes. Jesse gets David, who's out in the fields taking care of the sheep, and sends him up to check on his brothers who are fighting this war. Sends some food with him, says, check on them, and then come back to me and report. So David heads up to war. And what he finds is the Israelites on one side and the Philistines on the other side, every day going out, getting into line, and facing each other. And this giant standing out named Goliath, who is a warrior of warriors, and he's cursing the Israelite people. He's cursing their God. And literally, he's scaring the Israelite army. 
to the point where they're kind of backing away every day when Goliath steps out. And here's David, and David sees this, and he's like, why are we not attacking? Are we going to let him talk about our God this way? And they all are like, yes. <laughs> and somebody notices David saying this, that he can take down Goliath, and he goes and tells King Saul, who is in his tent hanging out, He's not even out in line. So Saul invites him in. David says, I can take down Goliath for you. I've taken down the bear. I've taken down the lion. God helped me with those so they would not get my sheep. I can take down Goliath. So y'all know the story. Goliath come, or David comes out. He takes out his three stones. And with one swing of his slingshot across the battlefield, bam. Goliath is down. And then David takes Goliath's head. Now let's go to the first psalm. After the hero's welcome, after all the Israelites chant his name, when David gets alone, he writes this first psalm. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Come on. That's good, right? Because I love this psalm. In a season of great success, in a season where literally David being carried on the shoulders of everybody, his head could have gotten 10 sizes bigger. But he realizes who the victor really is, of where that strength comes from. Isn't that amazing? So we go to the second situation. Well, obviously Saul is not going to let David go back to be with Jesse as a shepherd Matter of fact, he brings him with him, and he makes him a commander in the army. And he keeps sending David out with his legion, and success after success after success continues to happen. David keeps winning and winning, so much so that his name is becoming more powerful. People are becoming more excited about who David is. And Saul, King Saul, just gets more jealous and more jealous and more jealous until finally he just starts making a plan to kill David. Theologians say that for the next 13 years, David is on the run. In one hand, he is winning every battle that Israel needs to be taken care of. And on the other hand, he is fleeing from Saul's personal army 
that is after him and wants to kill him. So we find our second psalm, Psalm 31, and it's just verse 1 through 5. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. In a time of great need, in a time of great stress, in a season that is difficult, David finds rest with the Lord who is his protector, with the Lord who is his refuge, with the Lord who is his provider. Situation number three. So finally, Saul dies. He actually falls onto his own sword because he goes out for a battle and he does not win. And him, Saul, and his sons, and the armor bearer, and all his men, they don't want to be taken by the enemy, so they fall on their own swords. And now David, who was sleeping in caves, who was going hungry a lot of the time because he couldn't even go back to his own home, now David is being elevated to first the king of Judah and then as the king of Israel. He went from the lowest of lows to now he literally is man number one in the kingdom of Israel. And he keeps having successes and he keeps having successes. And a few years later, as the warriors are going out in the spring as they normally do for battle, David decides he's going to stay back and just relax for a little bit. And what happens as he hangs out on his rooftop is he sees Bathsheba in the distance taking a bath. And David, great King David, who's a man after God's own heart, falls into temptation. He sends a servant. The servant brings Bathsheba back. They sleep together. She gets pregnant. David finds out that her husband actually fights in his army. And he sends Uriah the Hittite out to the front lines where he gets killed. David, in this season, goes to a dark place to a life of sin, and he knows it. But it's not until another prophet named Nathan, who the Lord is speaking to, comes to David and says, do you understand what you're doing? Where you're at? Do you realize that your kingdom is getting ready to crumble? That the Lord your God is going to take everything that he's given you and take it away? And it was finally at that moment that David realizes the depth of his sin and falls to his knees. And in Psalm 51, he says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, Lord, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And the popular song, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In a time of great darkness and sin, what David needs is forgiveness and a cleansing of his heart. And who can he go to? The same God he's always been to. The same God who gave him victory with Goliath. The same God who saved him and helped protect him when he was being pursued by Saul. And now God has restored him. He loses his son that he has with Bathsheba. But God restores him. And to make a long story short, David ends up being king for 40 years over Israel. This is what I love about David's life. Here is a man that from the time he was a young boy to the end of his life found peace, mercy, favor, and rest in every situation. In every situation of his life, of his relationship with God, he found the Father protecting. He found the Father securing. He found the Father giving him salvation. In great victories, he gave God praise because he knew who was truly behind those victories when he was being pursued and persecuted and running for his life. Where did he go to find protection, to find hope and secure ground? The Father. When he was knee deep in sin because he decided that his pleasure was more important than God's providence, where does he go? Into the arms of a just and loving Father. David is the perfect example of a life that was continually connected to the Father. No matter what the season, no matter what the situation. If you want to go back and read the story of Samuel, or excuse me, the story of David, go to 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And you will see this weaving of this connection and this relationship that David has with the Father. It truly is a beautiful thing. And this is what Paul was talking about. So back to 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Guys, when I read these words from Paul, when I look back at the life of David, let me tell you what I see. Let me tell you what I believe Paul meant by Rejoice. 
pray, give thanks. I believe these actions aren't supposed to be tasks that we should put on our list of things to do. I don't think Paul is telling you that with every word that comes out of your mouth, you need to be rejoicing and praying and and continually giving thanks in the literal sense. I think that rejoice, pray, and give thanks, I think it's a recipe. I think it's a blueprint. I think it's an equation for a life that is spent falling in love with the Savior, falling in love with a protector, a provider, falling in love with a hope, and falling in love with salvation, falling in love with your heavenly Father. Praying continually is simply a lifestyle dedicated to falling in love with a Savior. Prayer can't be a task that you put on your to-do list. Alongside getting the groceries or stopping by the post office. Because what happens when you do those things on your little to-do app? They disappear. And they don't come back until you need them again. Right? Falling in love is so much different. I've been falling in love with my kids for 15 and 13 years. (laughs) And you know what it means to fall in love? It means you want to be around them whenever you can, right? And now that my kids are teenagers, we have to take that time wisely because they don't want to be around us all the time anymore. (laughs) I'm going to be at every swim meet. I'm going to be at every football game. I'm going to be at every orchestra concert. When we have the opportunity to go up and pray with them at night, there's going to come a day when they don't want us to do that. And guess what? Right now, I'm going to do that. And it's not on my to-do list. It's not a thing that I do. It's a lifestyle that I have been living for the last 15 or 13 years. We want to be around them as much as we can. And this relationship that you have with Christ is a lifestyle. When you choose to give your heart to Christ, you need to be around him. That's what David figured out in the fields. He couldn't walk that road alone. When the bear came along to steal one of the sheep, he couldn't take that on himself. But with the Lord's power, it was a different story. He said, I grabbed him by the hair and took his life. And it was God's power in him that allowed him to do that. So that is the difference between a to-do list and a lifestyle. I think a lot of times we are the center of our life and we put God on the outside like one of those to-dos that we have to do. And we reach up for it when we need it and we grab it. But I think what God desires is he desires to be the center. And that our whole life, every moment we go through, every hard time, every victory flows in and out of that. It's the process of falling in love the Savior. There's a uh, quote by Pete Gregg. And it says, we don't pray because we're into prayer. We pray because we're into Jesus. And there's a difference. There was a uh, 
a man's daughter, who came to the local pastor and asked him, hey, my, my father is getting up in years and he's in the nursing home and would you mind just going over and spending a little bit of time with him and praying for him? Pastor says, sure, I'd love to do that. So he heads over to the nursing home and he walks into the room and he notices the chair sitting there beside the bed and he, he says to the old man, oh, you've been waiting for me. The guy laying in the bed with a couple pillows behind his head says, no, who are you? Oh, well, I, I saw the chair. I thought that maybe you knew I was coming and you were waiting for me to get here. And he says, do you mind shutting the door behind you? The pastor kind of puzzled. was like, oh, uh, okay. So he shuts the door and the man starts to tell him a story. He says, pastor, I grew up in the church and I would always hear them preach about prayer and how I was supposed to be praying but I felt like it always went over my head. And so I literally decided that I wasn't gonna pray. Until a few years ago when my best friend said, Joe, prayer is just a conversation that you're having with the Lord. Tell you what, I want you to try this. I want you to put two chairs in the room and I want you to sit in one of them. And I want you to imagine with all that you can that Jesus is sitting right there in front of you. And that's not weird because Jesus said, I am with you always. And then have a conversation with him. Tell him about everything going on in your life. And listen, just like you would if we were talking. So the pastor hearing this, he's like, Joe, great job. Man, you're on the journey. The pastor says a prayer to him, for him. And then he leaves and goes back. A couple days later, he gets a call from the daughter. The daughter says, Pastor, I just wanted you to know my, my father passed away. And the pastor says, did he, did he go peacefully? And she says, yes, he, he did. I got there that morning and he told me a corny joke like he always does. And he gave me a kiss on the cheek and then he asked me to get him a couple things from the store. So I went out to the store. And when I came back, he had gone. But pastor, there was something really weird, something strange. It seems right before he died he made his way to the edge of his bed and he set his head on that chair next to it Tim shared a quote a couple weeks ago and I was sitting down in the second row where I always sit and it said Real prayer comes not from gritting our teeth, but from falling in love. And I knew at that moment, because I was already beginning to prepare for this message, that that is what the Lord wanted you to hear today. Is he literally just wants to fall in love with you. 
This is a Savior who's given everything, who died on a cross for you and for the opportunity to have a relationship with you. I want to redo that saying. I want to say real prayer may start from gritting your teeth, but when we continue on, what happens? We begin to fall in love. What Paul figured out and shared with us in 1 Thessalonians 5, it's the same thing that David figured out. Being able to find rest in any circumstance meant relying on, meant coming to the Father. It meant a connection with the one who is working for your good, who has the power to rescue, protect, conquer, and save, who brings joy and blessing into your life. Family, I don't know where you're at in your prayer life today. I don't know if for you it's a little bit more like gritting your teeth or if you're falling in love. What I do know is in my own personal experience, when I'm doing really well emotionally, when I'm my healthiest, I'm deeply connected with the Father. And the things of this world don't have the kind of impact on me that they have in the past. If you want to find rest in this season, then I want to encourage you. Pray continually. Live a life that falls in love with the Father. It doesn't mean every word. It doesn't mean everything that comes out of your mouth. What it means is that God wants to be a part of your day. He wants to hear about what's happening. And guess what? He probably has something to say to help you guide, to guide you along the way. This morning, I want to end with just three questions for you to ponder. Number one, how can you move prayer in your life from a task to a lifestyle? So it's actually part of who you are. And number two, what is one step forward you can take in your prayer life today? If you're not praying at all, maybe set up a couple chairs at home and talk to Jesus for a couple minutes a day. If you're praying five minutes a day, maybe lean in a little bit. Make it 10 and maybe try it at night as well. Morning, night. There's plenty of stuff to talk to the Lord about, without a doubt. And then number three, do you need help with anything? Do you need help with your prayer life? Are you in one of those situations that David found himself in? A great victory, a great struggle, even in a moment maybe where sin is kind of overtaken a little bit? I want to invite you. We're gonna go into a worship song here in a moment. Our prayer team's gonna come down below. And if you need some prayer, if you need help this morning, as we sing, 
I want to invite you to come down and to get prayer. Will you stand with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to thank you, number one, that you love us enough. Father, we want to thank you because, Father, you pursued us before we have ever pursued you. Lord, show us the realness of who you are. Help us to feel your presence. Help us to know that, Father, when we say these prayers, that you are right there closer than we can imagine. And you hear everyone. And you're moving for our good. Father, help us to understand what Paul meant when he said, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. We love you, Lord. And we want to give you all the honor and praise today. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.